Okay, good morning everyone. We've just turned over 10 o'clock according to my watch. Um, so we're going get, to get cracking because we've got a 45 minute slot um, before we then have a coffee break. So just planting that opportunity to escape in your mind already. Quarter to 11. We're going to go get a coffee, huh? But not before. No, please don't leave me at coffee before. I'll be mortally offended. Um, but so we've got 45 minutes together. It's going to be a bit of an interactive session. There's a lot of teaching to get through. Um, but there's going to be some questions. So you might want to be looking around the room for the first few minutes, just thinking, if I've got to have a conversation about something with someone, who am I going to choose? Um, so you just need to get into groups of four or five. Um, and then after I've asked you some questions, uh, I'll just get some of you to feedback partway through. But before we get going, let's just pray. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll get, go, get on. Lord Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us a church family to be a part of. That you've called us at this stage of our lives to be in this church. And Lord, I pray that as we look into what it is to be members of the church, what it is to be in the family of God, I pray, Lord, that you just open our eyes and our ears to what it is you want to say to us. Would you reveal truth to us this morning? Would you bring conviction where we need convicting? Would you bring comfort where we need comforting, Lord? Just be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, over the course of this weekend, we're going to be looking into and living out what it means to be part of the family of God. In our Christian lives, we have to remember that we're not only here to experience stuff, and have like practical aspects of our lives changed. We don't preach morality. We're not going to stand up and tell, say about how to live a good life, all, and that's all we do. You know, there's a deeper thing to what's going on. We preach the gospel. We preach salvation by grace. We preach God's work. The other week, Julian led us in seeking a deeper work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It was an amazing Sunday. There was this sense of a longing for something more than we had, and Jew came up to me before he came up to the front and shared, and he, said, he just came up, he had this thing on his heart, this, these lines on his heart, there must be more than this. And I think it's the same in so many areas of church life and the Christian life, there must be more than this. Sometimes it's all too easy to get caught up on the, what do I need to do? What practical things do I need to get on with to live the Christian life? I remember sitting once in the car of one of my youth leaders when I was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a young adults group leader by then, um, sitting in his car and uh, just, just discussing with him, telling him that I wanted to get, um, I just wanted to work out this God thing, work out the stuff I had to do and then get on with my life. You know, change my life so I'm walking the right, doing the right stuff and then I can get on. You know, if God is sorted, I can get on with life. I can just tick the box and do what I want. His response was, every time that he thought he'd worked God out, there always seemed to be more. And I think he's right. There is more. There's always more for us to discover. In church life today, I think sometimes we just want to gain the practical understanding or you know, the ways we can change our lives or the physical or spiritual experience without much care for the whys and the what-fors. And the danger here is that we can look for more experience and miss out on the depth of understanding behind what's happening. When we see a move of God, with an understanding of why God does what he does, our awareness of the majestic work of God is all the greater. And our experience is all the greater as well. We might readily seek out how our lives can be changed through the work of God. 
I don't know about you, but I know many of us wait until the end of the sermon to prick up our ears to go, well, so what do I actually have to do? Right, we ignore all the other stuff first. They go, oh, hang on, here's the application bit now. I'm going to listen because this is telling me, tell me the stuff I've got to get on with. Rather, I think, I think we need to be seeking to understand more deeply the heart of God in the matter. We hear a sermon on loving our neighbor, and we wait to the bit where we're told, have them round for dinner, and then we think, great, that's what I've got to do. I've got to have them round for dinner, and we focus on doing that. Because there's a sense of, oh, I can achieve that. I can manage that. But the reality is, we're not a people who are seeking to do what we can do. We're a people who are seeking to do what God has called us to do, knowing that we are weak and he is strong, and he does mighty works through us. It's not our strength, it's his. So when we just focus on the what we can do bit, we miss out on so much. We, don't, we miss out on going deeper in the understanding of why we should love our neighbor, why we should have them around for dinner. We miss out on the fact that it's out of love for them and out of love for God that getting to our no, we've worked out that getting to know our neighbor is primarily about the love of God and the glory of God outworked in our love for them. This weekend then, we're going to start with a bit of a deep dive on the theology at play in being brought and bought into the family of God, why God did it, why we need it, how we enjoy it, before then looking at the outworking of the family of God in the local church, which Russ is going to be doing later this morning, um, and then see how the family of God can grow through introducing people to Jesus, which is what Neil's talking about tomorrow. So question then, let's get the interaction going on quick. Um, when we consider the family of God, family of God, that's our theme for the weekend, family of God, what do we think of? Um, maybe just turn around groups of four, three to five, um, and just answer that question together. What do we think of when we consider the family of God? And I'm going to call out some answers. They can just be one sentence or one word. I don't want them really long. seems to be quieting down now. The, the level has dropped. So, as the level has dropped a bit, I haven't got, I haven't got control, he has. More Craig. Less <laughs> Craig. Okay then, let's uh, have some hands up who can answer the question. Maybe you can ask on behalf of your, answer on behalf of your group. When we consider the family of God, what do we think of? I'll, I'll repeat it back so it goes on to the audio for people at home. I am. Yeah. Well, anyone who says Jesus is a savior, they're part of the family of God. Great, 
Any more? Well, there must be more. We've already established there must be more, so. What do you think of? Joy. Anyone's got the Spirit of God in them? Yeah? Great. A mess. <laughs> it's a mess in the best sense. The family of God is a mess in the best sense. Real. Okay, real family. Rachel. Yeah. So, so people who um, you might not ordinarily mix with, but it's a whole um, a diversity of people across the church, which I think I wrote in the front of the uh, welcome pack. <laughs> Karen. So the family of God are those who would speak into each other's lives where they m- you might not in other situations with other people. Okay, cool. Rachel. Everyone, because God loves everyone. Great. Nina? United but not uniform. That's a, that's a tagline. Uh, Neil and Russ, can we write that down for our next vision statement, please? <laughs> Ephesians preach, yeah. Oh, I hope I don't ruin that for you. Okay, there's some great answers, guys. It's really good to get our brains working and get thinking about what it is to be the family of God or what the family of God is. Now, if we're going to do some theology together, um, we're going to start right back in the beginning, in the beginning, God. Okay, at the beginning of Genesis. Now, I would argue that all good theology starts with God, starts with him. Um, now, it can be argued that creation came about through the overflow of God's love, which is within the Trinity. Right? So you've got Father, Son, and Spirit who exist eternally in community together, three persons of the Trinity, and it's the overflow of the love that is present that is, uh, that's where creation came from. If you remember back in Genesis, um, Genesis 1:26, God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our li- after our likeness." Um, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Um, the theological term for that is that well, God was mad. What God uh, man was made in the image of God or the Imago Dei. Okay, so we as humanity, as men and women. We are made in the image of God. Now, that can seem like quite a confusing topic because it feels like, well, in, okay, in what way as am I made in the image of God? Am I made in the image of God in that I've got eyes and nose and a mouth and I've got arms? Um, how does this image of God work out? Now, there have been different thoughts on this over the years. One of them is that we're God's representatives on earth. So we, we live out and we we look after things and care for things because you think about how Adam was given charge over the garden, was supposed to work it and, and so on. Um, uh, and so we're sort of outworking what God wants us to do. Others have argued that being in the image of God is having a spiritual ability, the ability to believe in God, to desire to know God. It's been argued that man is made the image of God because we have a soul. There's something more to us than just flesh and blood. Um, there's like the physical representation, like we've got intelligence, rationality, emotions, free will, consciousness. Maybe that's what makes us in the image of God. One argument that I like is that we're in the image of God because we're made for relationship. We're made for relationship. Ultimately, we're made for relationship with God. All right, we're made to um, 
like we said, sort of partake of the divine nature, which the way Peter puts it is that we have relationship with God um, and we're changed into Christ's likeness. And I, I quite like this made for relationship w- with God aspect of the image of God. Um, there was no other earthly creature that had capacity or has capacity for this. Only we have a capacity for relationship with God. In Genesis 3, God walked in the cool of the day and he called out to Adam and Eve, expecting to walk with, it, with them. He walks seeking com- to commune with them, to spend time with them, to have relationship with them. And in the same way, God has the same desire for us to have relationship with us. And this hasn't changed since the garden. God still desires relationship with us. Now, it's important to note, I know many people will be sitting here with theological red flags going off. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Does God need our love? Well, no, he doesn't. Um, He doesn't need it. He's completely self-sufficient within himself and within the Trinity. Um, But it's it's not a need on God's behalf. It's a desire. It's a want. It's an overflow of his benevolent, inherent love because God is love. He loves us so much. He wants the best for us. And the best for us is to know him, to know his love, both individually and corporately. So in ourselves and together, right? To know his love ourselves and to know his love together. If good theology starts with God, it's important to understand God's place in the relationship between God and man. God is our creator. God is our father. Throughout scripture, we discover over time that God is a father. God is by nature and name, father. In the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as his son which means that by very nature, God is the father of the nation of Israel. In Exodus 4.22, Moses told us to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And then in the New Testament, we read Jesus' own words where he talks about my father. You know, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. You know, it's like my father. Jesus is saying, it's my father. Jesus tells his disciples to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he talks about your father to people around in Matthew 23, 9. God the Father exists as a, as a person of the Trinity. He's relational, he's related, relational to the Son. He has a, you know, there's a relationship within the Trinity. He is our father and he is your father. Now, father is an incredibly relational term, isn't it? And it means that we are related to God as his children. God is our father which means he has a desire to relate to us as his children. God desires a relationship with us. God desires a relationship with you. Each of you here, God desires a relationship with you, whether you're uh, the oldest or the very youngest sat in the corner who are being really good and really quiet. Um, God desires a relationship with you. Just think about that for a moment. God desires a relationship with you. As his child. You as his child, he wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't just, it's not just, a, an, it's not just an acquaintance. It's like, oh yeah, this is, I'm going to pick on Will because he's looking. Uh, this is Will and he's a teacher um, and uh, I think he's got a couple of kids. Yeah, that's, that's Will. That's not what God's like, okay? This is Will, this is, my, this is my child. He's beloved, he is my son. That's the, the, the way a father feels, he's proud of his kids, he's proud of his children, he loves them, and he'll do anything for us. Now, I know this 
many of us don't have amazing relationships with our fathers or, or any at all. But we have a God who says, I am your father and I have sought out relationship with you. I've made a way to have relationship with you. So, question. What does the truth that God wants to have a relationship with you mean for you? Let's get into, questions. Let's get into groups again. Chat, chat it through. Okay, guys, I'm looking at the time and starting to panic. So let's have some answers. Put your hands up if you can answer the question, what does the truth that God wants to have a relationship with you mean to you? I'd like to say it's a sea of hands. Pauline, because he made you. Okay, excellent. Rachel? So it helps you, so knowing that God is your father and wants to have a relationship with you helps you get out of bed every morning. Excellent. Chris, you had your hand up. Yeah. So it's like amazing that God, the author of creation, made this through, through the stars into space, flung the stars into space, and he wants to have a relationship with you. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Tash? Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, good answer. It is overwhelming. Rachel, what were you going to say? I was just saying, like, God is trying to pursue us. Yeah, God, so God's pursuing us, and uh, we should pursue him as well. Rachel? Other Rachel? I was saying, it's a special, but daunting. Yeah, cool. Good answer. Carla? Separate, yeah, separate Christianity from all other world religions. Completely special. Cheryl? <laughs> yeah. So, so like, so if you're, a, so if you're a parent, it's like wanting to be in the right way, intimately involved in the life of your children, because because of the care that you have for them. Yep. It doesn't matter what they do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really good quote that Russell's going to say later <laughs> that I was so tempted to use here, but I can't because he's got it. I didn't. I stayed away. What are you going to say? Wanted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just I love that I love that picture, Cheryl. It's like that 
like not not once a week. You know, we don't desire the relationship with our kids once a week. We have a God who wants to know us intimately, day by day, moment by moment. And it's like that level of interest. It's like as a parent, I think that I find that quite scary because sometimes, okay, you bump your knee again. Um, but I do care. But like God's there, so interested. He's such a better father than I am. Uh, brilliant, amazing. Okay, um, this is where I might spoil Neil's day a little bit um, because we've, we're starting a new preaching series in September. And we're preaching on Ephesians. It's going to be a really good series. Um, And now we're going to look at Ephesians 1. Um, (laughs) And it's your preach, not mine. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to to go through it quick. But importantly, there's that aspect of God as Father and wanting to know us. And there's that aspect that we are made children of God. So not only is God our Father looking at us and we're sort of distant from him, he brings us in as his children. And we are changed. We become children of God. Okay, Ephesians 1, uh, second part of verse 3 to verse 14 says this, Even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is an amazing passage. There's the end of it. Um, amazing passage. So much truth in here. And it's, it's, I'm looking forward to hearing Neil's preaching it because um, he's going to unpack it so much more than I am. But key points of this are, we were predestined by God for adoption as sons. God chose us. It was in accordance with his purpose and will. He brings us into adoption through redemption. We are bought at a price and brought into adoption. The price for this was Jesus' death and resurrection, which is the means of our redemption. That's how our redemption was done. That's how, how, the way it happened. It's a gift of grace. We don't work at it. We have an inheritance since we are sons that is sealed by his Holy Spirit. The inheritance is the fullness of our salvation. Resurrection bodies, complete freedom of sin, eternal life. Okay, so there's six key points that I've pulled out. Um, Jesus died for us to have our relationship with God restored. It's by means of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross that we have a relationship with God. If we believe in Jesus and we're born again then we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are children of God. Not only that, but we're sons with an inheritance in the Lord. In the Bible, there's a difference between men and women and what inheritance they'd have received from their fathers. In giving all of us adoption as sons, we all, whether male or female, receive inheritance, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit who secures it. Eternal life, complete freedom from sin and shame, resurrection bodies, praising God forever, enjoying him, being in his presence. Hallelujah indeed. 
So if you're a believer here today, you are a son of God, since you have an inheritance. You're a child of God, and we are therefore children of God. Our sonship denotes our inheritance in the spirit. You were chosen by him since before the foundation of the world. This truth is such an incredible security for us as believers. We've not come to know God by chance or accident. It was entirely his election that means we are saved. That means we can't undo it. We can't be unadopted and returned to the orphanage. It is his choice that he made before we were born. It's like God chose to adopt everyone in the orphanage before the orphanage was even constructed. The orphans are pleased because they have a father who loves them. And amazingly, it's a father who set out to love them even before they knew they had a father. As children of God, we know the greatest security because God loved us and chose us to be his children, even before we knew the mess that we've ended up in. We have a father who will never leave us or forsake us, a father who welcomes us back, back in, even when we're selfish, sinful, and unworthy, a father who comes running ungainly to us to reestablish us in the family when we look to him afresh. Think of the story of the prodigal. That father is a depiction of our father God. How often do we feel like we need to re-earn our inheritance or to re-earn our place in the family of God when we screw up? All the father looks for is a heart turned back towards him. Note, when the prodigal son returns, the father sees him far off. And he's been looking. He's, like, he's been looking. He's waiting. He's looking and waiting. And all he waits for, before he, before he gathers up his robe and charges after his son, which is a, not something a, a, you know, an older man would do, gathers his stuff up and he charges after his son. All he's looked for is his son's turn and coming back. And it's the same for us. That's what repentance is. So we turn away and we go back, go the way we should be going. All the father looks for is a heart turned back towards him. I don't know where you're at this weekend. Maybe you're feeling far from God, but let me encourage you, God is waiting for you to turn your eyes back to him and run to him as a child, to their good father who is their place of protection, their place of safety, their place of knowing unconditional love. If that's you, God is waiting for you to turn your eyes back to him, to, for you to run to him as a child, to, their, to your good father who is your place of protection, your place of safety, your place of knowing unconditional love. Let me ask, how much security do you have in knowing God as father and you, that you are his child? Let's turn to another. Let's, this might get a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit intimate, but we're family. So,
Okay, I'm going to draw this one back in a bit quicker. Um, I'm not going to ask for answers because it's quite a personal question. But what I am going to ask is that over the course of the weekend, just be considering the security that you do have in knowing God as Father. And maybe if you're wondering if you do have any security, find someone who's been a Christian a little while, uh, or at least longer than you. There are many people who have, Christians who have been longer than me, so I've got loads of people to ask. Um, but do find someone and ask, well, how do I know this security? Is it real? Is it right? But don't, don't, don't just leave these things. Let's, be, let's think about it and, and dwell on it. Okay, next thing. Together, we are the family of God. I'm, I'm from a bit of a messy family. Um, not my tidiness. You all know about that. But my family, my, my, um, my, my immediate family is pretty stable. You know, me and Karen and the boys, we're, we're pretty stable. Um, but in my family, overall, there, there, are three fa- there were three fathers, two mothers. On my dad's side, I have a half-brother, who's my dad's son and my brother. I have a stepsister. My dad adopted uh, my, my stepsister. And I do keep it as stepsister because I haven't seen her for a long time because just, we've never had that sort of, sort of relationship because my dad wasn't around when I was growing up. Um, and I remember trying to explain this family and how it worked. And oh, that was, there was a divorce here. And then, oh, no, they, well, they were together, but they were never married. And, and I, I tried to have this conversation in Moldova. And, and I didn't speak Russian or Romanian. So it's a really complicated diagram. Um, My family's all a bit of a mess, and many of us come from situations like this or are in them right now. In reality, no matter how messy it might seem, we're still family. My my dad is my dad. My my stepdad was my dad for seven, ten years. Um, uh, It's about ten years, I think. Um, But we're still family, all right? It's it's a messy family, but it it was family, and it's what worked. you know, I've not seen my brother, my half-brother, my dad's son, in over a decade. Karen's never met him. Um, and that's his choice, not mine. Um, but nonetheless, even how messy that is, and it's not ideal, it's not right, but we're still family. Now, if we are believers, we're children of God, we have the same father. Therefore, we are family. We are siblings in Christ. The church across the world together is the family of God. And the local church is kind of like the local family unit. Ultimately, everyone who is a believer in Christ, not just another believer, oh yeah, they're a Christian as well. They're a sibling. They're your brother or sister in Christ. So I've got a challenge for us. How do we feel about everyone else around us in this room? Great. Great. Good answer. But what do you do? What do you do before, before you answer? Um, <laughs> is to look around the room. Look around the room. Look at everyone. Look them in the eyes. It's like that awkward bit in a, in a higher church. We might say the grace together. You know, all looking around and smiling at each other. Just think, how do you feel about everyone here? Okay. So, some people you might look at and go, yeah, I know them. They're, they're a good acquaintance. Others, you might think they're a friend. How about a bit more controversial? It's like, ah, them. <laughs> Those, that person. You know what? They did something that hurt me, and now they are forever my adversary. Acquaintance, adversary, siblings. 
Acquaintances. Okay, what about acquaintances then? Do we just know of people or do we know people? We don't have to know intimately everyone in the church family. But we should have some who we really know as close siblings. And there might be some, you know, who are still family, but we can't know them more as cousins. Um, you know, they're still siblings. We can't know everyone in that sort of deep and intimate way. Um, but we should still be looking at them as siblings, as brothers and sisters in a broader family. But adversaries then. Um, maybe you feel like you've come to um, talk to me um, and you feel like you have to come like, on the defensive. Um, and you feel, you know, you're defensive and you know, kind of see as, me as, as, as an opposition, as an adversary, right? Something you've got to come against. I'm using me as an example because it would be horrible to use anyone else. Um, <laughs> but sometimes there is that situation where we feel a bit edgy about a conversation we're going to have or someone we're going to go and talk to, someone we're going to go and see, and we just feel like, oh, those, that person. Yeah, and if I've, ever, if I've made you feel that way, let me apologize. I'm sincerely sorry, and... Um, uh, just come and talk to me, and we'll make it right. Um, you know, perhaps sometimes we get embarrassed about something that we've done, and we feel the need to come and talk to someone else on the defensive, protecting ourselves, guarding ourselves. You know, as members of the local church, we should be living it out as loving brothers and sisters, not adversaries. Let me encourage you, if you feel ad- adversarial towards others in the church family, go to them, go to them this weekend. Make it right. Say sorry, seek forgiveness for the sake of the relationship, for the state of the relationship, the way it has been. Or maybe that isn't appropriate, and they're completely unaware, but the right thing to do is to resolve to make the effort to get to know them better, or choose to repent of that wrong attitude towards them and make the relationship right. Let's not be adversaries with family. Now, siblings is the right place for us. Paul writes to the brothers in in the different churches he writes to, um, and uh, it's like brothers, which is like in Spanish, where you might, might say hermanos to mean male or female siblings. Where hermanos is the male for brother, but can reverse, refer to brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look in your Bibles, there'll often be a note, and some Bibles translate it to brothers and sisters, um, but it's just worth a note. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should look at one another as brothers and sisters. Now, I think. There's a funny thing at play here. Truth is a funny thing when we consider it against emotions. Sometimes it's a real struggle to have our emotions reflect the truth. Our emotions are good things. God gave us our emotions. Um, And they're they're given to us as a measure by which we can establish how we're doing mentally. They help us with our fight or flight response to protect ourselves. Our emotions are good things. But our emotions aren't definitive truth on a situation. They establish how we feel, but not truth and fact. Now, the healthiest way to exist, in my view, is to seek an emotionally healthy response to the truth. So when I say that everyone here is your brother and sister, it's good to be aware of our emotional response towards others here. But it's also really important that we acknowledge the truth. We are brothers and sisters, and we do what we can to live out of that truth. So let's do something to help us live in and accept the truth that we're brothers and sisters together. I want you to turn to one another and say, hello, brother, or hello, sister. <laughs> let's not confuse the two. That's a whole other sermon.
<laughs> okay, well done, guys. Now, we are, we are siblings in Christ because we have one Father, God the Father. If we are in Christ, Jesus' words to say, my Father and your Father, they apply to us, and therefore we are siblings in Christ. We are family. It's not something we necessarily feel. It's something we are, and we should look to treat one another as such. I just want to pray quickly before we, before we move on. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in you we are made brothers and sisters. We are made family. We are made part of the family of God that you've, that you've called us to be a part of, planned for us before the creation of the world, before the very foundation of the earth was laid. You planned to call us your children. You planned to make us family. And Lord, I'm just so thankful that that's true for us, that we are family together under an amazing, good, good father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, a little bit of application. So for those of you who have been switched off so far, you can turn your... Oh, no, hang on. Okay, a place we live out this reality of being the family of God is a local church. And for most of us here, that's BFC. As I've said many times the past four and a half years that I've been employed by the church, we're primarily a church family, a family church because we are a family. We gather as a family of God, siblings in Christ, to honour, praise and thank God for the change affected in our lives individually but also corporately. God doesn't change just one life, but he adds us to the family of God. Right? How often was, have we got caught up on, oh, it's Jesus and me. Jesus and me and my relationship with God, forgetting that we are not just Jesus and me, we are brought into the family of God. It's us and God. In the local church is where we experience a different side of the presence of God as well. I don't know if you ever thought about this. God the Holy Spirit indwells us if we are believers. Right? He's the seal of our hearts of our salvation. And we can be filled afresh with the fullness of the Spirit to know God's love. We're told over and over, be filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And God often fills us with the Spirit as well for specific things as well, to be equipped for specific ministries or times or moments where we need that extra courage to go on and do something. He gives us the Spirit to enable us to be bold. But also, when the family of God gathers together, there the Spirit is too, in the midst of us. We are a body together. We are the temple of God. And each of us have a part to play in the dwelling place of God. We are stones together, built up into a spiritual house, the dwelling place of God. First Peter chapter 2 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that builders reject has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, claim, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You get that sense? We're being built together, right? It's not just us and Jesus. It's like me and Jesus. It's us 
as well. There's, that, there's both layers to it, both sides of it. There's the individual nature that we are called individually, and then there's the family nature. We are being built up. And God is at work amongst us when we gather. You know, we're blessed, all the greater blessed, through our gathering together. When we gather, the Spirit dwells within each of us who are believers, and he dwells amongst us as we gather. We know how sometimes uh, visitors come to church because I just, I don't know what it was, but I walked into, this, into the door and I just thought, whoa, there's something going on here. Right? And we sometimes go, ah, yes, it's because we've got such an excellent welcome team. Um, we do have an excellent welcome team. But there's that sense of, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a presence of God as people walk in. And it's like, ah, it's the Holy Spirit working amongst us. He is at work amongst us. As we gather, he is in our midst at work amongst us because we're gathered together, because we're the family of God. Humans aren't made for extended periods of solitude. We're made for community relationship. If we look at the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, a continuous relationship within the Godhead, we're made in God's image. We're made for, rela- for relationship and community. In the early church, people were saved and added to the church. Right? It doesn't get explained. You know, there's this many people and this many souls were added. Right? And in Jerusalem, that was into the local church. It doesn't get explained. It's just what's happening. People discovered salvation in Christ. They were added to the local body of believers, the local church. I know it's been said, you can be a Christian and not go to church. And that's true. If I was left on a desert island, I would have no church to go to. I'd be there, me on my own. Um, and I'd have to lash two turtles together to escape. Some of you will get the reference. Um, but the question is, <laughs> I was going for Jack Sparrow, but um, <laughs> my back isn't that hairy. Um, but the question is, is my Christian life lived out to the full in that context? Am I living the, you know, the, the ideal Christian life stuck on a desert island on my lonesome? As much as sometimes I might want to be stuck on a desert island on my lonesome, the reality is, the best situation a believer can grow in their faith and understand that we aren't only children of God on our own, is the local church. We are family. God is at work in greater measure when we gather as a unit, when we are humble, when we defer to one another, when we care for one another. So my encouragement to us now is, let's be that church family where God is at work in our midst, where he's calling us to love one another as brothers and sisters. Let's seek, like Nina said, unity, not uniformity. We want to be together as a church family, going in one direction. I don't know, um, a lot of uh, of the guys who have been here a while remember when I Will started. And that thing from, uh, is it Joshua? Uh, As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, And I think for us as a church, you know, the, the picture in that was, when the whole family comes together under one thing and they go in the same direction, there's, a, there, there's progress made and things are happening. And, and I want to see, we all want to see, I hope, people of Billingshurst and surrounding villages having their lives changed. And I think the more that we recognize we are family and work together in unity, pull in the same direction, the more of that stuff we're going to see. So let's be the family of God. I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to pray. Um, I'm going to leave it there for us to think about, and maybe you want to think about it and pray about it as well.